You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latinoamérica in Foco. América Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. The economy, or how voters perceive the economy, will play a determining factor in Chile's November presidential elections. And so far, the picture is pretty gloomy. Just 23% of Chileans think the economy is improving, according to a poll published September 25th. But believe it or not, 23% is actually the highest it's been since 2015. A lot of that dissatisfaction among voters stems from concerns about tax reform and pension reform, while education and unemployment are problematic too. I'm Elizabeth Gonzalez from ASCOA Online, and I spoke about these very issues with former Chilean Finance Minister Felipe Larraín, who is now heading the economic program of the leading presidential candidate and former president, Sebastián Piñera. Thank you so much, um, Mr. Larraín, you know, for taking the time to speak with me, aside from the rest of your day here at ASCOA. Well, pleasure to be here. Actually, this is yeah. you know, my fifth time here. Okay, so you're true friend of ASCOA. Yes, then. yes, absolutely. So I'm really interested in getting your perspective on Chile's economy, particularly ahead of the November 19 elections, because it has arisen as perhaps the most important issue on voters' minds. And you have particularly great insight because aside from, you know, 10 books that you've written and being a professor at Harvard, you were also a former Chilean finance minister um, from 2010 to 2014 under Sebastián Piñera, which now is the leading candidate in the presidential race. So you, during your time in the finance ministry, you saw Chile grow over 4% a year on average. 5.3 to be precise. And now Chile is closer to 1% growth. Yeah, it's actually for this year, it's going to be 1.3, 1.4. Okay. That's right. So is this a, a new reality in Chile? Is there any way that Chile can go back to growing? 5.3%? The first thing is that we have to understand the reasons behind this the, uh, uh, very dramatic slowdown of the Chilean economy. We are not in a recession right now, but we have we are very, very dismal growth and uh, significantly below our potential growth. Uh, this During this government, a number of reforms have been put forward. Uh, these reforms have been very ill-conceived, ill-implemented, and uh, they have taken a toll on the economy. On investment, on productivity, uh, so much so that an economy that was growing five, almost five and a half percent for four years, you know, uh, the average growth for the current government will be one point eight percent. So there's a more than three and about three and a half percentage points of difference of growth. I mean, uh, a growth. Uh, this is not a smooth slowdown. This is really a hard landing what has happened in the Chilean economy. And um, about two-thirds of the problem, uh, if we take some pieces of research from the IMF, have been internally generated. So it's not just that we had the commodity cycle. Some people believe that because Chile, you know, we're very long on copper and then copper prices declined. Yes, true, you know, but that's only part of the problem and it's not even the most important. The most important part is the slowdown related to domestic 
causes, you know, domestic causes, which include the reforms, the uncertainty, the, the loss of trust in the economy between, uh, you know, the, the agents, economic agents, consumers, uh, investors, and I'm not talking just about big investors, I'm talking about small entrepreneurs, people who are trying to start a company. I mean, these people, uh, these are the reasons why investment has declined for four consecutive years. And this is really, you know, uh, the worst showing uh, for uh, Chile's economy since we have comparable data uh, over than half a century ago. Are you thinking of particular reforms that were especially well, of damaging? Course, the tax reform, the labor reform, uh, and and all the talk about the constitutional reform. Uh, you know, reforms that are more ideological than anything else. Just the la the tax reform uh, is probably responsible for close to one percentage point drop in, in, uh, in economic growth. It's important to bear this in mind because a correct diagnosis will allow us to go back to growth. What sort of new reform, new tax reform do you think it will be necessary then? Anybody who comes to Chile, to power in Chile, uh, so um, it doesn't depend on who is the next uh, president, uh, will have to reform the reform. And the reform has already been reformed by the current government. A little background here on the tax reform in Chile. Yes, Congress passed the tax reform in September 2014, just six months after Michelle Bachelet started her second term as president. Then she had to amend it. It increased corporate taxes and eliminated some tax exemptions with the aim to raise about 3% of GDP by 2018, which would help finance some other social reforms, like education. But Bachelet wasn't the first to do that. Sebastián Piñera had passed tax reform in 2013 before he left the presidency, raising the corporate tax rate too, and reining in an additional $1 billion to pay for education. Not a year had passed, and you had to amend the reform because people didn't understand because it created such a cumbersome system. You know, a tax reform that required more amendments than the pages of the tax reform itself. It's not just that the reform wanted to raise three percentage points of GDP in, uh, in taxes, in tax revenue, uh, which is a hit for an economy that is already trying to, um, you know, um, face a situation, an external situation, which has, you know, just in terms of copper, it had deteriorated, you know. So you're trying to face what's happening, and then you're suffering a very significant uh, uh, dent from the internal uh, reform. So the tax reform will have to be reformed, and this will probably mean that uh, you'll go back to 100% um, tax credit that, that was lost in this reform. Uh, this is in uh, in the economic program, as I must say, I'm you know coordinating the economic program of um, candidate and former president Sebastian Piñera. And uh, part of the, what we believe is this 100% tax credit uh, uh, for taxes paid at the corporate level for individuals or for foreign investors. And, you know, there is a terrible discrimination between foreigners and domestic. You know, if you are a foreign investor in Chile and you're covered by a double non-taxation um, tax treaty, then you pay 35%. If you're a Chilean investing, you pay 445 so there's a significant discrimination against local investors, and this we need to do away with. 
okay. uh, simplify the tax system, create legal certainty. And I'm saying this does not depend on telling you what we think we have to be done, but anyone who is an ex-president of Chile will have to face this reality. And in terms of you know the different drivers of growth, aside from fixing the you know the legal codes, we know that the world's largest copper exporter is losing money just because of the the drop in commodity prices. But what now? What recourse do they have now in order to boost the economy? Well, in order to boost the economy, we need to get back to a good economic policies. It was a tradition in Chile to do good economic policies. Yeah. I mean, and this was in the time of the concertación, uh, uh, in the last years of the military dictatorship and economic policy, a number of economic reforms were on the right track, and these were preserved when democracy came. Then you had all the period, the 20 years of concertación. Then we, you had the government, you know, the opposition, the center-right, you know, under President Piñera. But the, the quality of economic policymaking was preserved during this period. And this was a distinct um, tradition in Chile. It's true. Chile has one of the best financial reputations of any Latin American country. It has the lowest public debt in the region and has had the highest GDP per capita for the last 16 years. But it might just lose the last of these merits come 2018, when the International Monetary Fund predicts Panama will overtake Chile as a Latin American country with the highest GDP per capita. This was lost during this government. So we need to recover that. But Chile has a diversification problem too. In terms of diversification, uh, let's face it, you know, we have, are very richly endowed with natural resources, although with many of them. And of course, we would like to uh, diversify away from copper, but not suppressing copper, but having other sectors grow, you know, more than the copper sector and the mining sector. But we need to take full advantage of our mining sector. So I think that's another uh, thing. Uh, just to mention, in the Fraser Institute um, uh, ranking of um, mining competitiveness, in 2013 we were number four in the world. Now we are number 39. So that is with the Fraser Institute based in Canada. It's nothing to do with uh, what's happening locally, we'll say. So, um, so I'm all for diversifying, you know, and I think there are many opportunities for diversifying. Uh, let me just mention that we are now selling about $700 million of cherries, you know, mainly to China, because the Chinese love cherries. And this has created a small, a mini boom, you know, in agriculture. Agriculture sector is growing. We have a competitive exchange rate. We have a very low, low interest rates. And I think we should take advantage of this. Yeah, it seems like one of um, the things that uh, Chile has been trying to do is to become closer to the Pacific Rim countries on the other side of the Pacific, right? Mm -hmm. um, first, they were trying to be part of the TPP. That's out of the question now. But now with the Pacific Alliance, Peru, Colombia, and Mexico, they just accepted um, new associate members, New Zealand, Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you see that as a real opportunity to boost investment, boost trade? Absolutely. Uh, we were 
actually, the Pacific Alliance was born during our government. We firmly believe in it, and uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we are happy that uh, this government continued. I mean, this is part of an effort that uh, that you know is uh, not just uh, belongs to one government. It's just uh, you know it's a bipartisan. It's across the board in the political spectrum that we want to continue uh, integrating in the world. We are a very open economy. We have free trade agreements with over 60 countries because some yeah. of them are just one trade agreement with a bunch of countries. But, uh, you know, I think the Pacific Alliance is very important in this respect because it's the kind of trade integration agreement that, uh, you know, that is currently working, that's producing results in Latin America. And there are even countries which are now in Mercosur, which express a deep interest to be, you know, to come close to get some kind of integration like Argentina. And the President Macri has expressed an interest to come uh, you know, and be part of the Pacific Alliance, although they will need to resolve some problems within Mercosur to be able to do that. But, uh, but I certainly believe that uh, we just signed, as you say, uh, these associate memberships with Australia and New Zealand, and also with Spain. We just signed an agreement with Spain, the Pacific Alliance, meaning the four countries. It, this has created a, an area which is four times, uh, well, these four countries is about the same size as Brazil. We have about 200 million people in the Pacific Alliance. We have scrapped tariff and non-tariff barriers so that at 93, 94% of our trade now flows freely between the countries, and we're expecting to actually uh, to have a, a much uh, tighter inter integration in other sectors like the financial sector, uh, like uh, even including people who want to work in one country, you know, from, from another country. So they're kind of, uh, you know, student visas, work visas and, and this kind of thing. So I'm a firm believer on the success and the future of the Pacific Alliance, and I, I hope that any government that comes in power in Chile will, you know, will boost our participation in the Pacific Alliance, will deepen the integration, and will open it up. Now looking, once again, more inwardly in Chile, you mentioned that these countries um, are interested in having these student visas, right? Mm -hmm. we, they want to boost human capital. Mm -hmm. And Chile is known for very educated population, mm -hmm. very educated youth, which continues to demand education reform. Yet unemployment continues to be very high among, among youth. Mm -hmm. Are there jobs for them? It, yes, well, it, let me say this is an issue that uh, it's not only a problem of Chile. Youth unemployment, uh, unemployment rates among the young are typically not only twice, but three to four times the average unemployment rates of the population. And it has to do with uh, low skills, you know, low experience, um, you know, in some cases, minimum wages that will uh, deter people to hire those who have low skills skills and low, uh, you know, low formal education. Uh, so, but, but anyway, I think that um, we should do an effort both in terms of education and in terms of training programs. I mean, training will probably get closer results in education. Education takes a long time. We have to do something on that, and certainly. But training programs are a way to get those who are displaced uh, of one job uh, to have an opportunity to get another job. And it's a way also to on-the-job, on-the-job training 
and with a possibility of having certificates for those who attend, you know, so that the abilities are certified and are recognized. If you go out of one company and you want to go and get employment in another company, that you can use that. So I think that we will create the jobs. Uh, you know, question is that uh, first of all we need to get growing back again. You know, with one point. 4% growth, which will likely, 1.3, 1.4, which will likely be for this year, we're creating very few jobs and we're creating many sort of street jobs. A lot of people who are, you know, working in the streets and probably even say it's better than nothing, but they're informal jobs, very low pay, um, no social security, no unemployment insurance, no social security contributions. So basically, uh, they're very poor quality jobs. So the ability to create higher quality jobs will depend on the getting the economy back on its feet again. And I think we can do that. But how can it be a low-skill issue when you have more students graduating than ever from university? Is it because they are getting the degrees in the wrong areas? No, because sometimes, you know, what we have discovered is the quality, we have very distant qualities in higher education. And we have in universities which are world-class in Chile, uh, you know, but we have another, other universities which don't prepare well their students, you know, and the students go uh, to the labor market, you know, and discover that the jobs are not there because they are poorly qualified. So we are making an effort now in terms of the quality of education, which is another issue. It's not just getting people graduating. You know, it's just that what you provide to them that would allow them to succeed and to find uh, adequate jobs in the, in, the, in the job market. Now, the other reason why we also need uh, uh, young people to be working more is because of the aging population, right? Chile by 2020, which is just around the corner, is going to have one of the oldest mm -hmm. populations in, in Latin America, proportionally. Um, the pension reform has come up as you know a big issue. Bachelet wants to prove that by the end of her term, March 2018, but it might stick around for longer because people right now don't really like the reform she is proposing. Um, how important do you think that is for the health of Chile's economy? Well, let me say, first of all, there is the, the clear demand for the people for better pensions. And, and they are right, you know, and they're right. And I think we all want to do, uh, to improve the pensions of people. But we should do good reforms, you know. And the problem with the pension reform that this government has presented is, has so many problems, you know, that, uh, and, and trying to get it approved, you know, at the very end of the term without adequate discussion. Discussion, I think it's a very bad idea. Uh, this is the kind of things that you do, uh, um, you know, uh, you are, one could be tempted of saying that this is done for electoral reasons, that you're throwing it, you know, and try to approve it just before the election, you know, trying to, to, to get it approved. Como decimos en Chile, entre gallos y medianoche. Huh? So meaning that you have, you want to get it approved, you know. When the rooster very, comes in the morning. When the rooster, and, yeah. be, between midnight and the time the rooster, uh, you know, will start singing yeah. or whatever. Uh, you know, but then we think that a pension reform, something so important as a pension reform, should be done with a broad consensus among the different players, with an adequate period of discussion. You cannot approve a huge pension reform in three months. And this is not a good pension reform for many reasons. One reason is that it's, uh, it has a tax on, uh, on labor. You know, instead of the, the way to finance part of the redistribution, and we agree that uh, we need to improve the pensions of those who are less 
less well off. You know, those who are at the very bottom of the pen of our pension will make, let's say, something around $160 a month. You know, and that is a very low pension. Yeah. So. What we think is that we should take out of the general taxation. So we should craft a pension reform that doesn't tax labor, that doesn't <coughs> preclude the creation of employment. Even the government paper that analyzed the reform said that it could cause up to 390,000 jobs. Up to 390,000 jobs, this pension reform. So the thing is, if we have a problem, we have to face it. But facing it in a bad way, creating a monopoly uh, institution, public institution to manage the pension monopoly because, you know, the five percentage points will be handled by this uh, council of collective savings. They want to get rid of the, the private pension administrators and then replace it with a public agency well, to administer the funds. Well, not get rid, but have this institute, uh, this institution, this consejo, council. I, I don't I okay. don't even like the name, you know. The Council of Collective Savings doesn't look, sound good. Why? You know? um, well, it, it, it reminds the, the, the were the collective farms in the old USSR. All this, it, 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 so I agree with the point that we have to do, you know. We have to improve the pensions of the less well-off. Let's see who has the better plan. Let's have the Chilean people decide who has the better plan for that. And now we are presented a proposal to in increase four points instead of five, four points, all going to the individual accounts and supplementing the by 40% the pensions of those who are less well off through the tax, the general tax system and not labor tax. So, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we should be debating. This is what happens in a democracy. So this is part of what people will judge. If they go vote in December, there are two proposals. This is very unpopular. Uh, about 70% of the people are against the proposed pension reform of the government because they understand that there will be a huge tax on labor, you know, and this will affect the Chilean middle class, you know. So it's not a good idea that the Chilean middle class will be financing the improvement of pensions of those who are at the very bottom. It is those who have the highest ability to pay that should be financing. That's, that's what we want. Okay. Anyway, we'll now I know you're short to, on time. Yeah. Final question, because you have a lot of ideas. Are you going to be finance minister again? No, uh, this is not the time for jobs. I'm just, you know, the jobs of the next government will be decided after the election. And this is something that, you know, is a prerogative of the president. We hope that President Piñera will be uh, re-elected, you know, re-elected for his uh, second term uh, in November of this year, November and December. There will be a second, probably and likely we'll have a second round. And then... Uh, and then we'll see. This is the moment to, to work hard. We are working hard. I am working hard in the coordination of the economic program of President Piñera. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, then the time for jobs will be uh, probably after December, you know, and uh, it will depend on the decision of the president. A lot of new faces will come to government as well. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more, visit as-coa.org.